I want to ask you, what are you here for? What are you really here for? Not give me no church answer. You're here because your wife dragged you. Here for because your your husband dragged you. Here because your kids dragged you. Here because your parents dragged you. I mean, I'm I'm all about a drag ministry. That's okay. Um, we we need some of it every now and then to, to at least start the opportunities. But what are you really here for? Is it a checklist thing? Is it to get more religious? Is it because you think if you come on Sunday, the rest of your week's just going to be good? Are you here to actually grow in your walk with the Lord? Are you here to actually meet with Jesus and have maybe an opportunity of, of growth and expansion taking place? The song said, we're here, Lord, for no, for no other reason other than to meet with you. Now, if we're going to say that, because I'm quite sure everything I've ever read in Scripture and every uh, uh, illustration given through the life of Christ in the beginning, every person who met with him wasn't allowed to stay the way they were. Every person that took a time to, whether they whether they were dragged to the well and didn't know they were being dragged to the well and hadn't eaten, but every person that had an encounter with Christ had to have some change that took place afterwards. So if you're saying, and if you sang, and if you if you met, I've come here to meet with Jesus. I, I just want you to be okay with change. And I don't mean that as, as we look at changes like as this real bad thing. Change don't have to be bad, right? Like change can be good. Change can be exciting. Oh, if, if you look back to last week, and no, I'm not going to go into my, my spill again. I do want to make one point clear. Well, well let me say two, two, two points. Two points. You know I can't have a one-point thing. It's got to be a two-point thing. So two points. One, I am super proud. That we have people that will call, text, show up at my front door when they have questions about crazy things I say. <laughs> I, I, I mean that wholeheartedly. I really, really do. Like, that is what it's about. And to be honest with you, for the rest of you that didn't, and some of you may have just understood, and that's why you didn't. But the rest of you are too scared to. I'd actually told them, I said, I, I'm not going to go back into it ever again because those that want to get more out of it, they'll be the ones that call me, text me, show up at the door, Facebook message, and everything else. But I do want to clarify one thing because I was talking to somebody who wasn't here trying to share with them and, and they kind of missed a, a little bit of it as well. And I think it's because of my wording. Like I get when I get excited, I mess up. Big surprise there. Um, you know, so if you thought you found the, the perfect church and perfect speaker, boy, did you really mess up um, this morning. But but I want to say this, like I didn't mean to say Jesus wasn't born. Yes, he was born. All right. I just wanted you guys to understand the point. God can't be born. You understand the difference? So really, it's just our wording. I, I didn't mean to imply that Jesus didn't come to earth. Yes, he physically came to earth. I acknowledge that. Okay, I'm not. This isn't a new gospel, new idea. You don't have to wait. We'll get the snakes out at the end. You know, none of that kind of stuff going on. But I, w- I want to be clear. Like, I wanted to make sure you guys didn't think I was going off of an assumption like Jesus didn't even. Yes, he came to earth. I've read the Bible. I, I got it pretty good a couple times. You know, so, so, so yes, he came. But I don't want us to fall into the illusion of thinking like that was the birth of God. That was the birth of his physical being, a man on earth who came to die for us and all that. But but God can't be born. So I, I just want us to work on our wording. Rather than saying God was born, I want us to say what Emmanuel means. God came to be with us. See how easy that kind of is? All right, I won't go into it anymore. I do want to look back at a couple of verses from last week, and just for, for a whole different reason. <laughs> Paul gets on this thing, and if you haven't been with us, by the way, we're in, we're the church and priests verse by verse, so we'll, we're just going through Philippians verse by verse. My crazy wife thought we would make it all the way to verse 30, and some of you did. I heard when y'all noticed how fast she stopped reading. Surprise, we'll be on chapter 2 again next week. 
Paul getting on this thing and he's talking about this humility and this servanthood from last week. And then he goes into the illustration of Christ. And he talks about Christ coming to earth, still in the form of God, by the way. Again, I won't go into it, but he ended himself becoming a servant. He came as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient. And that's the word I really want to point out. Obedient. Everything Christ did was in obedience. Because if we want to be followers of Christ, we have to be obedient. Do we understand that? Like it's not a it's not a choice anymore. It is a choice, but it, but but the answer has been made for you as long as you walk in the in the right light. So we ought to have a faith that is more than just an outward show of our Christian values, but is on display for for the rest of the world to see. Not just as Paul says when he gets here to verse twelve, after talking about the example that Christ set forth through obedience. He, remember, this is a church he loves, by the way. If you've read any of Paul's letters or, or checked him out, there's a lot of churches Paul got mad at, aggravated at for right reasons. Um, and, and there's a hint here that maybe there was a an option for this church to, to slip up just a little bit with, with some disagreements and ununity, but, but we don't have any evidence that that's what was going on. But he says, he goes, just as you guys have always obeyed. Now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. You ever had your mom and dad tell you, even though I'm not there, you better behave. I gave the, the boys the line the other day when they, they left the house. I said, even though I'm not there, you better behave. Right. That's, that's what Paul's getting at. He goes, even though I'm not there, but even more so, Paul is taking this thing to another level. He's saying, guys, I want you to understand, like it's it's an all the time kind of calling. And, and there maybe is our, is our good selection for our, our first little mini lesson right there. Our calling is an all the time calling. This isn't a part time thing. This isn't a one day of the week thing. This isn't a I act this way when I'm around church people thing. Uh, you know, this this is an all the time type of calling. And he, here's what I'm afraid of as we jump into this this main thing. Because I know you all heard the verse. I know you've heard the verse before. And, and some of you are so scared of the verse and, and and whatnot. I don't want you to be so afraid that you may miss growth. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we come to church with our little precognitive ideas and, and, and beliefs. And we're so afraid of the change, we're so afraid of growth, that we miss the growth. Why? Is, is, is it that bad to grow and be willing to change? Is, is it that bad to, to understand that, that maybe something you had? And the reason being is this very next verse, I'll go ahead and get to it, verse 12. We're still in verse 12, kind of. First thing he addresses, this little phrase, work out your own salvation. We hear this and you got two of the largest debates in the world, you know, whether salvation's all of God or whether salvation's all of works. And you know, we just argue and we fight and we go back and forth. And I just want to say what the verse says. Actually, I want to say what the verse does not say first. First, the verse does not say work for your salvation. The verse says work out your salvation. You understand the difference? Vastly different idea. If it was to say work for your salvation in verse 12, then, then everything Paul had said, you know, would be contradictory to all the gospel letters he's written. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work out your salvation. What he's saying is Philippians, you guys have been obedient. I want you to stay obedient even when I'm not around, even, even when you're not in the presence of the church folks, right? Even when you can take off your mask. And I want you to put forth a real effort into your Christian life. And if you do this, it becomes evident in every, every area of your life. This is the act of salvation that God has freely given them. He's saying, I want you to put forth effort into everything. You ever seen somebody who's got a lot of talent, but doesn't put forth effort? 
My, my two boys, oh, anytime this idea comes up, my two boys are my example and they know it. I don't shy away from it whatsoever. I got, I got one boy that will put forth more effort than any other boy. I'll, tell, I'll put it on like he, he is. Uh, when he's going to get his mind into it, dedicated, man, willing to do whatever. And, and, and he, can, he can climb up and, and, and get. I got another boy who is, man, you just somehow magically let a ball fall in his hand and things just happen. I, I'm, I'm being dead serious, man. We have a horrible season. And we just start throwing the ball. And as soon as he catches it, we got more yards than we had to hold us to the sea. I mean, it's just, he, he's that kind of kid. The laziest, <laughs> sorriest sap sucker <laughs> on the planet when it comes to effort. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I wonder how often, because I think God's got a lot of children. I wonder how often he looks at us and sees those two different types of children. And how many of us that he's blessed with so much ability, so much moments, so many opportunities, so many meetings that you and I are just the laziest, sorriest sap suckers when it comes to actually applying some stuff. He said, I want you to put forth effort. What well, well, put forth effort? What? Put forth effort in learning what it means to be a child of God. You know what I'm saying? Put forth some effort in understanding it. Somebody asked me this week, said, man, how how often should I read this is good. You should write this down. How often should I read my Bible? What what's some of y'all's answers? Two times a day. Whoa, brother, that's like extra spiritual check marks. You need to move over to the holy section. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Here's the part you need to write down. Ready? More than you read it now. <laughs> you thought it was gonna be something good, didn't you? Right? More than you read it now. And it, that works for every level. Because what if you do read it two or three times a day? Should you stop? Uh, well, I've made my three times a day. I guess it's a, no, you read it more. Right? Once a week. Well, now I'm going to read twice a week. Right? Like it, it, More than you read it now. Put forth effort into learning what it means to be a child of God. Put forth effort into growing into the people that God's called you to be. Some of us are so afraid of what that means that we don't put forth any effort. So we don't even try. We, we don't even attempt to, to, to grow and change. What if, what if we were to, to seriously try to follow the way Jesus walked? The way Jesus treated, you know, I, my mind's been blown the last few weeks on just trying to, trying to, trying to keep up with how Jesus did what Jesus did the way Jesus did it. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever watched, even, even, even in conflict, Jesus was like the smoothest dude in the world at handling conflicts and stuff, but still being who God called him to be. And who he was. I mean, it really blows my mind. I'm like, man, if I was to talk to a person in that situation, it would have not have gone that smooth. Right? But if I was to ignore the situation, then I'm equally as wrong. Jesus, in love, but yet still in truth, was able to just like say it like it was. And I think that's because Jesus had a bigger and better heart than we have. Because he seriously cared so much about the people he was ministering to. That, that it was portrayed in the way he handled situations they got themselves into. And that's something I'm trying to learn, right? So, so try to follow Jesus the way Jesus was. And then this, you, you can't obey the teaching of Jesus if your life's on cruise control. And I, and I really think that's some of the problems that we get into in the church. Like we, we got it. We did our little check mark stuff. So we, we just set the cruise control and we're happy at the pace things are going, right? That, that's not what we're, we're called to be. He says that you were not saved by your good works, but you were saved for good works. 
So what he's really saying is why everybody's wanting to argue over the two different things. How about let's just apply both of them? How about let's acknowledge the fact that Jesus did the saving, but now you ought to do the working. Right? Because in 13, what's he going to say? He's equipping you, Jesus, God, right? Is, is one is doing this. I don't want to get there yet. Matter of fact, go to Ephesians chapter 2. I know we just did this series not too long ago, but I think some of us get a better understanding of chapter 2, 8 and 9 than we do of verse 10. 8 9, it says, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from your own selves. It's God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. We, we love that, don't we? You ever met like church people just quote that verse? Right? I mean, it, just, it doesn't it just feel so good. Right? And then verse 10. For we are his. That is a four letter word. Who said work just now? That is a four letter word in the church. Right? For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good. You get to add to S, so it's not a four-letter word. Now it's five-letter word, right? For good works, which God had already prepared ahead of time for you to do. We love eight and nine. We don't really understand why ten's got to be there. Right? We love the fact that God God did it all. God did it all. And we, we, even, we even try to sound religious. Well, God did it so I can't boast. Yes, God wants you to sit in your rocking chair and not do nothing. For the rest of the time of you understanding eight and nine. No. Got through verse 10 in there, right? He did it all so that now you can do it all. You understand the difference as it grows? How can it? Maybe you could ask it this way. How can it work out if it hadn't gotten in? Right? How can it work out if it hadn't got in? The, the difference here is that it's got to be in you before you can work it out. And here's a real big part of this. And, and here's why I think it, it kind of makes it easy when we understand this. These words are not written for everybody in the New Testament. This is not one of the, the gospels or, or not one of the, the, the letters that are neutral where they would have just read this in the courtyard. This is a letter written to who? Believers. So you could say, since we like the word so much, this is a group of people that's already saved. Right? They're already part of the kingdom. They should be doing this thing, right? So this is not a, an exhortation or a command to all men. This is directed only to the people of God. So it would be weird if Paul was saying, hey, you're already saved, but, but keep Keep working for your no. Work out your salvation because you've already got it. I'm addressing it now, making sure you understand. I want you to keep working it out. And then that that word you better highlight it and underline because I know we we got a problem with it. Work out whose salvation? Your own. Your own. Don't we like trying to work out other salvation? Huh? Oh, we we just want to smirk. We don't want to. Be honest about it. Man, we do. Well, I'm just trying to save them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just trying to get them right. I know they're corrupt. I know they're evil. I know they're little wicked people. And I'm just trying to, trying to get them right. You better get yourself right first is what it says. Work out your own salvation. Because what Paul's going to say in a minute is through working out your own salvation, you're going to actually be a tool to use those other people to be drawn to salvation. Right? We got to work out what God and his grace has already put inside of us. God desires for his people to live out what God's working inside of us. And as it gets to verse 13, huge lesson to make sure we get it. Who is the one doing the, the working within verse 13? Right? Verse 13, what does it say? For it is God who is working in you. It's the Lord who's making this change that takes place. It's, it's the Lord who's bringing forth this, this kind of thing. And, and the Greek word for work in verse 13 and in verse 21, which we obviously won't make it to, is the word we get our word energy from. So what Paul is saying then is God is the one who is energy 
at work within each believer within the church, actively transforming us individually, corporately, all this according to his will and his purpose. So, so he's saying it's because we let him in and we got free will. We got choices. I understand that. But he's the energy inside of us that's allowing this to, to take place. You think your desires are going to change because you want them to change? Right. You ever, you ever heard of it? Why? Well, I really don't want to do, I really don't want to feel this way. I really don't want to crave that. Have you, you heard people say it? Maybe you yourself have said that. Right? Yes, we're there. So what happens? We have to let this, this God energy inside begin to change the way we are. So first thing, God works in you. Since God is doing the work, therefore the Christian has a greater, uh, and here, here's, I, I really want us to get this for real. Because some people will read this and be like, well, God's doing the work. I ain't got nothing to do. I think because God's doing the work and God is such an awesome God that that puts my calling at an awesome calling, which means I've got a greater responsibility. Right. Do, do you understand that? Like if, if, if put it to you this way, if you're trying to impress somebody who's been, well, if you're not trying to impress somebody because they've been to your house a hundred times, do you clean up? Do you pick up? Oh, well, that's why you're in that section overachiever, right? The rest of us in the real world, we don't. But if a certain person's coming over that we want to impress, then we pick up, we clean up, we we get ready for this. We have a greater responsibility, right? Could you imagine if we viewed that the way we should be viewing who God is? What if Yahweh's coming into your house? Well, <laughs> I have a greater responsibility to be clean up. It increases my responsibility. It doesn't lessen it. Spurgeon says it this way. There is a living well within you springing up. Use the bucket then. Keep on drawing. You will never exhaust it. There is a living source within. You can't outuse what God's got inside to use. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes I think you, you think it's going to like run out or something. We, we take God's sovereignty and God's working and we, we, we excuse it for an action and laziness. Do you remember the, the, the men in Matthew chapter 25 that, that he gave the, the talents to? If you've got notes, go, go read 24 through 30 this week. He got so aggravated with the ones that did nothing with what they were given. Right? Even called, one, one, what do you call him, wicked? Could you imagine that? Like God himself looking at you this way? No, he, he, he wants us to use what we've been blessed with. So as we look at this thing, God wanting servants to use, you know, understanding and, and all this kind of thing, we, we get this other word. Now, now here's something else I started doing. And, and I think uh, it was this Wednesday or last Wednesday. Mitch said this, this line, which I, I, I liked. You know, a lot of the New Testament, we, we can all agree that the Old Testament was... 99.9. I think there's a couple little Aramaic words in there, but other than that, it's all Hebrew, right? So, from here forward, is where everybody wants to debate. Now, you got an argument that says everybody wants to make it Hebrew. Can't be true. Okay, can't be true because who are they writing to? Greek audiences. This letter is one of them. All right? But you can say this. They're all written by Hebrew people. So, they got Hebrew idea, Hebrew mindset. You could even say they may have originally been written in Hebrew before they were mailed out. Then they were, I don't know if they had a mail system, but before they were sent out and had the stamp put on them, you know, there was, there was some Greek translation with it. So in doing that, I look at what Paul uses for a lot of these words in other areas. Then I take it even in that you gotta, you gotta really be willing to, to kinda, if you're dumb as me, you gotta be really, really willing to put forth a lot of effort to, to get some of these words and understanding, right? But then if you're willing, you can look at what other people were writing at that same timeline. So we know this was 60 to 65 A.D., right? So this this word kept coming up, work out. Work out in other writings as well. And there was this this guy whose name I can't say, so I didn't write it down because I didn't want you to laugh at me. And he used this workout word for mining. 
And, and it's just, just normal writing. This isn't like a religious writing or anything like that. This is just Greek writing at the time. And the, the, the word that we have for workout kept coming out. And he was referring to mining. So I had this. Maturity requires some mining. Right? You got to be willing to get your back aching. You got to be willing to get some calluses on your hands. And if you look at it this way, now you're no longer working for salvation. You're working out your salvation. You're mining. You're trying to get out something that, of value, right? So then as you work through the rest of what Paul writes, this word, which, which really gets really cool here, because I don't think character and maturity are accidental, nor do I think they're magical. I think they're purposely pursued for, you know, to get them. So, so now this word for work is used for produce. Or as you and I might say, produce. So you and I then, what did we just now go through not too long ago, we ought to be producing the fruit for the seed that's been put inside of us, right? So this, this changes this changes a little bit of how everybody wants to argue over the verse, right? So, so now I'm not working to get salvation. There's been a seed planted inside of me, and I'm trying to bring forth the fruit from it. I want to love everybody. I want to, to care for everybody. So when I understood this, I, I was so excited, right? So I got the, my little spiritual paper out. I was trying to be holy like some of the, some of the ones in answering good questions today, right? And, and I was like, what can I do? You know, what can I do to, to, to have that fruit produced in me? You know, so I wrote down good answers like help an old lady cross the road, right? Like, like reach out to, to somebody who's in need and buy stuff for this, this homeless group we're talking about. Buy the kids that are remaining gifts. And, and I had all this list going. Give me some things that would be on your list. What could you do to produce, produce this fruit? This, this is good because, because if, if you're like me, it's, it's also going to be a door slammed in your face. Um, go ahead. What would it be? Don't be shy because I said that. Pray. Oh yeah, that's spiritual. You got to pray for everybody. What else? Oh, yeah, I got to walk with a smile, right? Even if it's fake. What do you got to do? Oh, be humble and kind and all. That sounds so spiritual. Come on, be with me. What else? Do the laundry. Yeah, because we just talked about to be a good husband, you ought to do laundry. And God tells you to be a good husband. Can't believe you ladies didn't amen that. That's why we don't do y'all's laundry right there. What else you got? No, you don't let him know. So he's a liar. <laughs> Anything else? Make you more holy? Nothing else? All right. Go to verse 14. I want you to make sure you're in the same strength thought as me, right? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, God's working in me. I'm pulling forth this fruit for his good purpose. And I got my list. And then God gives me a list. Look at what his list says. Do everything. Without grumbling and arguing. Well, that wasn't on my list at all. That, <laughs> you know, like, uh, that, that didn't even make the top 100. <laughs> what the heck? Why is that there? Right? How and what can I do? I can do everything without grumbling and arguing. Some of your translations are going to have complaining. Some of your translations are going to have murmuring. Whining. Huh. I'm not so excited about my list anymore, you guys. It doesn't sound like as holy as the rest of the list, does it? I mean, I thought our stuff sounded really holy and good, didn't it? It sounded church-like. Yeah. God says, I'm not looking for church-like. I'm looking for, I'm looking for people that are going to live in darkness, live in bad times. Keep in mind, this is written from a guy who's sitting in jail on house arrest right now. And I'm looking for believers who are going to stand out because they're not grumbling. They're not arguing. They're not murmuring. And they're not whining. 
Paul's going to go into some practical ways to obey this thing. And basically, you can say it this way. He wants to back up your witness with your life. If we're going to reflect Christ, we're going to let the world see the way Christ has changed us. Because I'm telling you right now, too many people have turned away from church because of the hypocrisy in the church. All right, we're one way on Sunday and another way the rest of the week, right? Your life must match up with your testimony. Actions got to speak so loudly that the rest of the world can't even hear what we're saying. It's pretty cool, right? Actions speaking so loudly that doesn't even, they don't even hear what we're saying because they're actually so loud, right? And we, we get this twisted sometimes because Christians seem to be some of the most pessimistic outlooking people that there is. I'm being serious, man. And I'm talking to myself a little bit. Do all things, verse 14 is where we're at, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I'm slow, so I wrote down what it doesn't say. For my, for my personal notes, right? But I'll share them with you. It does not say do some things without complaining or arguing. It does not say do most things without complaining or arguing. For some strange reason, God wanted it written, do everything without complaining or arguing. And if I can be honest, I complain and argue about this verse. Some of the rest of you might be with me, right? What, what, what's, he, what's, what's he saying? He, he, here's where it goes. Let's get, let's get even further before we know exactly what he's saying. Here's why some of your, your translations may have the word murmuring. That word for complaining actually does translate onto murmuring. Whispering complaints, muttering under your breath. Now, you women aren't as bad about this as us men. Right? But my men right now, they can probably relate to me and understand that there's times where we murmur under our breath. Some things that we don't want others to hear. Am I right? Or am I the only one that does this? Maybe I'm the only sinner in the room and I'm okay with that, right? You, you ever just had somebody make you so mad, but you know you can't say something, so you just... Some of y'all is dumb enough to say it out loud, but some of us are smart enough to murmur it. God says both of you is wrong. The wording he uses here, this is even kind of cool so we get a better idea of where Paul's at in this understanding. The wording he uses here points back to Exodus in the book of Deuteronomy. Because he's using the same wording. Remember, Hebrew mindset, right? It's the problem that the Israelites had in the, in the wilderness. He's looking at them and he's going back over them and he's saying, God worked amazing miracles for them in Egypt. He delivered them from Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea. He provided food for them in the wilderness. And what did they do? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Wine, 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 complain, complain, complain. Could you imagine? Now, now this, this is a two-part thing, because I think we should get to this stage. We just shouldn't have the attitude when we get there. A lot of people don't, don't they, they've never caught that part. Could you imagine getting to a stage in your walk where miracles were so common that you got tired of seeing the same miracle? That's a cool stage to get to. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've seen so many miracles, it doesn't blow your mind anymore. That's where the Israelites are. Because what happened? Food just appeared. Right? It wasn't just a cool magic trick. It was a miracle. Right? But they got so used to miracles that then they started complaining about it. So you want to get to that stage, no doubt. Everybody wants to get to the stage where they, they see so many miracles, the miracles no longer miracle. But you don't want to get to the stage where the routine becomes something you complain about, right? Could you imagine if we just... Didn't get excited every time somebody did join the kingdom. That'd be the same miracle being repeated, would it not? 
Have you lost your excitement from that? That's why it says that in heaven, the angels will rejoice when even one decides to join. Right? So, so it goes, goes even, or maybe we just apply it to us for today first. So this is supposed to be a time to then, right? How about us? God sent his son Jesus to die for us. He forgave our sins. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us. His Holy Spirit guides us. He gives us new purpose. He gives us direction. He hears all our prayers. He answers according to his wisdom, which is better than ours. And what do we do? Grumble, 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 whine, 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 complain, complain, complain. Right? I'm going to confess two things to you guys. This is what I've learned in my complaining just this week. You can use me as an example. I'm fine with it, right? My complaining this week, here's what it revealed about me. Which is so funny because we preach so hard against these two things it revealed against me. So I think like the Lord, he wanted to just slam a bunch of doors on me today, right? One is this. I hate being out of control. I hate it. Right? That's horrible, man, isn't it? Because what are we supposed to, what, what are we preaching? You're not in control, the Lord is. I can preach it on Sunday, but what happens on Monday? I hate being out of control. I complain when I lose control. I complain when things don't go that way. I complain when people don't execute my plan, when it doesn't happen on my calendar, when God doesn't seem to get the blueprint of what I wanted, and, and I complain. You know how often God didn't get the memo of what I told him? It drives me nuts. You know how often I even try to do something for good motives and reasons for somebody else to the extent that I'll be mad at that person because it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out? I don't like being in control, right? So I complain. Second thing about complaining that revealed just this week, some of y'all may get more than two. I just got two. This one hurt even worse. So you thought that was bad, right? When I'm complaining, I got an attitude of entitlement. Right? I do. I don't like to admit that because we preach so much against that, right? But what I'm saying is, I think I deserve better than I'm getting. Is that not what we're saying? When I complain, when I whine, when I murmur under my breath, it's because I think I deserve something better than what I got. We do it in all areas of life, too. Right? Dave, I think my trust has ought to have been ready on time. And so does everybody else doing construction work, right? You thought the tire you ordered from California should have gotten here in one day instead of two days, right? You don't know what it costs to get it in two days from California. That is crazy, right? You thought that she should have went above and beyond for dinner. Instead, you just got macaroni and a hot dog. You thought them kids should have got up and wanted to clean their room on their own. Oh, man, y'all got some kid problems. Everybody was on that one, right? I think he should have planned a date and got us a, got us a, uh, a babysitter on his own. I shouldn't have to do that. That's his job. He's the leader, right? I think he ought to pray with me on his own. I, I, I think he ought to pick up the word and start going through it with me. On my, we complain why? Because we think we deserve better than we're getting. Entitlement. You ever met somebody who says, you know what? I'm so glad I complained about that situation. It really helped. <laughs> I just want to know if you have, because if you have, I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep on whining and complaining. But I've never met anybody like that. I've never met anybody that says, man, I'm, I am so glad I complained and whined about this. It helped me get through it so much faster. It might have provided a little bit of relief for the moment, but I think that's it, right? Here, here's what the verse is saying. Instead of, remember, we're tying this back in with Jesus uh, on verses 6 through, through 11, right? What if instead of complaining, we discipline ourselves to practice Jesus' lifestyle? What was Jesus' lifestyle? Well, he was always aware of the presence of God all around him. You remember every situation he got in? 
It was all. It, it wasn't. It wasn't about the situation. It was about the bigger situation. Even when he stood before Pilate, remember what he said? Pilate's sitting there looking at him, shaking his head. He's like, "You're not even going to talk to me. You don't understand. I got the right to kill you." And finally, Jesus chips up and he's like, "You have no authority." <laughs> You, you think you have authority. Like the only authority that's been given to you is authority that we've already granted you, and that's it. And if we want to snatch that back right now, we can snatch it back right now. That's a mindset of the presence of God always being around, right? Second thing with, with Jesus all the time, when we just put ourselves, instead of thinking to practice like Christ, the, the life of gratitude. To cultivate a life of gratitude. Did you know it's impossible to complain when you're thankful? It, it, it is impossible. You cannot complain and be grateful at the same time. Scripture commands you, be thankful, right? But you can't do that while you're complaining. Complaining means you're discontented and you're not satisfied. So is that what I want to tell the Lord? God, I'm, I'm discontent. I'm not satisfied with the life you blessed me with. You going to the cross, dying for me, coming to earth, leaving your, your throne. All the, It wasn't enough. It hadn't made me happy. It hadn't brought me joy. I'm more concerned about the little petty things that are only for a temporary time than I am the eternity kingdom that I'm supposed to be building. Is that what we want to preach? Because what Paul's about to get into and why he says this is number one, if we want to get our, our list of ways to be spiritual, why he says this number one is because this is what the world's watching. This is what the world's checking out. And if you want to break that cycle, you need to become aware you've got a problem. You need to start practicing some gratitude and you need to choose faith over the rest of the stuff. Why? Because complaining not only makes you unhappy, complaining makes everybody around you unhappy. Right? People will notice the difference if you're not a complainer. Prove it. What's the very next thing he says? He, he goes into this and then he says what? I want you to stand out from the world. Verse 15. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. If you display a non-complaining spirit, you show the world that you're a follower of God. I like my list so much better, right? Like wouldn't it be easy to show the world I'm a child of God by buying gifts and opening doors and picking up trash and right. But he says, if you want to show the world that you're truly a follower of God, then, then you're going to stop complaining. You're going to stop whining. You're going to stop murmuring. You're going to become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. You become blameless, innocent children of God. That's the way people start to view you. You start to look differently in a world that is not positive in a world that has so many things going on in negative ways. You're different. Paul, a guy sitting in jail, writing about this. The idea is not that you're going to be perfect and sinless, right? But that you live a life that nobody can criticize or question your status. When the world looks at you, now you can pull out, well, the world's not allowed to judge me because they're not part of the kingdom. Well, you tell them that rule and see if they follow it. Because that rule's for you and not for them, right? Are you living your way in such a way that nobody can question your status? Or are we blending in? You know, I wasn't going to share this, but it, you guys would understand because you hear it all the time. I preached a sermon not too long ago, well, years ago now, on, on the chameleon thing, right? Don't be a chameleon. Don't blend in. So when I wrote blend in this week, I wrote be that. What's those little hairless cats called? Sphinx. Isn't that what they're called? When you guys see them, does it just not? Yeah. Or is that just me? Maybe it's just me. Right, because this chameleon, everybody's like, where are you going? <laughs> so, so the chameleon lizard, he blends in with everything, right? He looks like all the stuff. That hairless cat, it doesn't look nothing like the rest of the cats. It looks like an alien. That was my thought. 
And then I remembered when Jesus prayed for us, he called us aliens in this world. And I was like, boom, we're the hairless cats. I see by some of your faces why I shouldn't have shared this. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> right? That's how different we should look, though, guys. Do, do, you, do you understand? Like, we're called to be different. We're called to stand out. Like, like, like to the extreme. You guys will think I'm weird now. It's all right. Because <laughs> you didn't already. <laughs> Why? Because we allow the world around us to conform us to their image rather than letting Christ who's working inside of us, pulling forth the energy inside of us to conform us to his image, right? We ought to be indistinguished. Or we, ought, we ought to be distinguishable from the rest of the world. We ought to look different. The Bible calls it what? Look at the verse. He says the world around you, the Bible calls it a crooked and deprived generation. You live in a dark world that has left God's truth, that doesn't worry about what God says about marriage, doesn't worry about what God says about purity, doesn't worry about what God says about worship, the words you speak, and has set their own rules. And when we expand on this word innocent, here's what's even cooler, right? Innocent, blameless, or, or, or whatever, it actually translates into unmixed or unadulterated. Meaning this, it's it's a it's a uh, it's a metal word that they would use for metals not being mixed, but it's also a, a word they would use when they describe wine, a wine that isn't mixed with water. Because what does water do to wine? The ones that didn't speak, they're like, we don't drink wine, Pastor. That's sacrilegious. Well, Jesus talked about wine, okay? So we're going to talk about it, right? Yeah, you don't want a wine that's mixed with water. You want one that's pure, that's valuable, that that, that holds it, right? You're not to be mixed with the world, the sentiments of the world, the philosophies of the world, the attitudes of the world. You're to be pure. That's your aim, to be pure and blameless, to be different, to be seen in a different sake, to be a witness for the rest of them. And, and, and you can say it this way because we're getting ready to go into the rest of verse 15. The challenge is that your light not be hindered. All the rest of that stuff that we put in and we mix with, it hinders our light. Right? Because the rest of verse 15, what does it say? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Y'all, y'all ever listen to any old DC talk? Any old school Christians with me? Right? I want to shine like the light. You are in the world, right? I can't sing, but I like the words, right? Because here's what I remember when I when I see this light of the world thing. I'm reminded, what did Jesus Christ say he was? Hold on, he's the light of the world, but it's telling me to be the light of the world. Ah. Supposed to represent him that way, right? God calls you to shine like stars. You know, one of the viewpoints they had of, of stars back in the day, they would look at, at the dark sky and, and all this stuff and all the stuff going on in the world, and they would look at the stars, and people would literally write this back in, back in 60 to 65 AD. They would write about the stars showing there's still order in the chaos. I read that and I was like, wow. Because if you read Genesis, that's almost exactly what God's talking about doing. I'm bringing order out of the chaos. And when he comes into your life, he brings order out of the chaos. And if you begin to let him change your viewpoints and, and your purity status and all that kind of stuff, he would bring order out of the chaos. Could you imagine a night sky with no stars? You poor people that live in big cities. Like you can't see the stars that we can see out here because it's got to get dark to see the brightness of stars. So that means sometimes the darkness allows the stars to shine brighter, right? You ought to stand out in the darkness. How about this? Just just jot these down right here. Fulfill our places, lights in the world. Lights are used for different things, right? Like, for instance, a lot of us, we would be cool to pull out light and do that, right? 
Huh? Is that cool? That's light. I'm the light of the world. Does everybody like it? Do you like it? Do you like it now? How about now? Do you like it? Do you like, do you like it? Do you like it, Cody? You don't like my light of the world? Why don't you like the light of the world? Is that not the crap us church people come up with? Why? Oh, let me shine a light on all your sins. Let me tell you how horrible you are. Let me tell you how rough you are. Let me tell you why you'll never make it in the kingdom. Is that not what we do? Oh, it's so easy though. Let me just get you on again. Huh? It's a use of light. It's a bad use of light. Right? What, what, what about some other lights here? All right, that's enough. What, what you guys, see, I kind of had two lights. I had a light that lit a light, because the light should light other lights. Then I got this light. What do you guys think of when you see a candlelight? This is like for you women, probably. None of us men are good. I, us men have one idea right now. And if you don't have it, talk to me after church. <laughs> Oh, now you got, yeah, I got it now, pastor. You're talking about, yeah, that word, right? What are, what are you ladies thinking, though? Keep it pure and nice. We're in church. What is it? Bubble bath. Oh, it's so relaxing. Yeah. Romance. Yeah. She's thinking like us men. <laughs> Better light some candles, brother. You know what I'm saying? Right? What else? What? Clean. You produce that smell, right? What else? What? Relaxing. Soothing. So is it safe to say then some lights bring about this, 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 this feeling of, of, of serenity? Calmness? Even if it is setting the mood for romance later. Right? Anybody, it, it, it does that. It's used for that purpose, right? And then you got like, if you use that light the right way, you know, if it was dark, I'd be using this to find my. <laughs> Only in the South, you're going to get that answer, right? All right, I'll go with it, right? I'll go with it. I can use the light to find my food. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. That was good, right? What, what else could I be looking for like this if I'm in the darkness? My way, my direction, right? Legos. So I don't step on them. Because then I'm going to need a bubble bath to calm down before I beat the kids. <laughs> what Paul's really saying here, though, is <clears throat> you gotta, you got to be willing to get the spirit inside of you, get a little wet, right? <clears throat> so that then... Ooh, man of hands. <laughs> we got insurance, don't worry. 1.2 million, baby. We could build this thing back. Right? Right? You know what's cooled in? Is that thing will only burn as long as the fuel. From the inside is burning it. And then there's moments of life where it does get 
different stages, right? Guys, the, the real question when Paul talks about light right here, that I want to make sure we get, is there's different forms that light does. And if we all try to be, I thought of this when we were talking about the stuff that we do at the end. Because some of you get the mindset, like when we start listing stuff on Doors of Freedom and, and buying gifts for kids and, and buying stuff for the homeless and still wanting to feed people and all this stuff, you're like, Pastor, how do I do it all? You don't. You don't. And you shouldn't. Like, you're not even called to do it all. I hope you understand that. That's why Paul writes these letters to a group, a church, a gathered body. I don't know how many of you guys actually pray about this stuff, but here's, I fully believe in the sovereignty of God. And believing in the sovereignty of God means this. If his people would pray, God, what do you want, what, what part of it, God, do you want me to do? Then I believe every need would be met because we would all be doing the part we were supposed to do and it wouldn't be nothing else. Because when you try to do it all, what do you do? You shortchange each one. You have to. You only have so many funds. I mean, it makes sense, right? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, like, if you've got a hundred dollars to spend and you divide it up to, to four different things, everybody's only getting $25. But what if a God had already provided with somebody else to do $10,000 for that one? And your $100 was vital for this other one. Right? You got to pray for discernment so that you know what kind of light you're supposed to be. Yeah, maybe there'll be a time when you're you're talking to another believer and you do need to shine a light in their eyes because they're so knuckleheaded they ain't getting it. But I don't think that light's being used too often. What I think that light ends up becoming most of the time is our complaining and our arguing and our impurity. Because when we do those things, we, we turn out the light from directing people in the right direction to leading people in the wrong direction. As a matter of fact, even one people, do you, you notice a lot of people, maybe yourselves, when that light hits you, like kind of squirm and turns your head a little bit, you want to get away from it. Well, when he says you're the light of the world, you're supposed to be drawing people, not trying to get away from it, right? So have we been doing the wrong job with, with this lights? Lights are used to guide, they're used to make things evident, they're used as a warning. Other writings would have used this, this same word uh, uh, for warning uh, as a lighthouse sitting on the, on, the, on the shore. Warning, they're to bring cheer. Those moments of relaxation and bubble baths. And I sure am cheerful when romance comes, so thanks for listening, right? Yeah, those things, right? Lights can be used to make things safe, right? If you're walking around a house full of Legos and you didn't cut the light on, that's not safe. That's dangerous, right? Make things safe. Jesus himself said this, John 13, 35. By this, by this light, all men will know that you are my disciples. Then we go back to our little list, right? If I hold the door open, if I, if I memorize a Bible verse, if I, if I read at least three times a day, if we, we get the list going, no, he says, if you just love one another. The one thing that will let the world know that you are his is if you're loving one another. Write it down this way. And I, I, I well, God, this was getting, not that we shouldn't be excited. They finished the other and a little bit of trim work paint and all. They finished the, the nursery addition of the doors and the window and the trim and all that kind of stuff. And that got me a little excited, right? But what is attractive about our church? Is it the building? Is it because we shoot guns? Is it because we got a cool fire pit that a CNC machine made? Is it because we, we, we got decorative stuff? Is it because we got a new paint job? Is it because we just now got new floor? Is it, is it because we got rock and music? Is it what, what, what is it? what is it that is attractive about the church? Because it's not supposed to be the building. Christ himself says outsiders ought to be able to sense the presence of Christ inside of you. By what? By the love that's inside of you. 
by the compassion that you have for others. By, by your willingness to want to reach out because you care so much about other people that you sacrifice your own stuff. Paul sitting in prison, man. How easy would it have been to worry about his own problems, his own stuff, his own complaints, his own timeline? But instead, he's about to say, look, guys, I know I may be about to die. And if the end comes, I just want to make sure you guys are walking worthy. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, you're, you're, you're the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your what? Good deeds. And when they see your good deeds, they praise your father in heaven. Ha. Huh. So you're not doing good deeds. So you get praised. You're doing good deeds. So daddy gets praised. The title of the sermon, we finally made it to it, right? Shine, don't whine. So shine, don't whine. Be a shiner and not a whiner. Right? Which one are you? Which one are you exhibiting on a day? Which one do other people see in you daily? Which one does your family see about you? 16. So that I may rejoice the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. This is a troublesome thought for Paul. He's sitting there thinking like as I'm writing all these letters on house arrest, knowing that my time is about to come through. I want to make sure like I ain't wasting my time with you people. I want to make sure you're living this thing out. If somebody dragged you, go back to this other thing and connect, right? If somebody dragged you here this morning, that means they probably care about you. They probably want you to get what they got, right? They probably want you to, to, to understand some of this stuff, man. He knew that his work abided in people. Do you understand your work about your real work, your genuine work, the work that lasts should abide in people? Paul said, like, I shared the gospel with you guys so that it would make a difference in your life so that then you would make a difference in other people's lives. If that ever stops in, in, in the thing, then there's a mistake. Paul said, if you don't live out the gospel in your own life, if you don't share it with others, then all my work was in vain. Yeah, what's he, what's he looking forward to? The day of Christ. The heart of a true shepherd is knowing that his end is right around the corner, knowing that he's in, he's in a rough situation and he's got few burdens about himself, but he's got, he's got many for other people. He, he cares about the compassion and, and the thing of other people, right? He's not content. Here's a, here's a big one. Not content with other people's relationship with God until like it's striving. He wants to see others grow. Somebody that stopped by the house this week, they told me, they said, well, well, generally, I think of a lot of your stuff as, as teaching and growing, which is good. I want us to I want, I want us to learn, you know, through that. You don't need to be preached that. You need to learn if you've made it in church. Right. Like this is for the this is for the body. We should be growing. Right. And, and then he said, but I know when you get off on those tangents where you walk away. And you start yelling at us and preaching at us that it's something you really care about. He was referring to something from last week that we weren't going to mention anymore. Right. And, and in that, though, but 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 here's my thing. And I, and I love it because, yes, yes, because when God gives me a clearer understanding of something, I've been trying to get a clearer understanding of. I want you guys to get it. And I pray the same thing for you guys to me. I pray if you got an understanding, you better share it with me. Right. And you got to understand you better share it with me. We ought to be feeding each other. Right. It'll be like a fire that's lighting other fires. And then we let the Holy Spirit wind come in and just just explode with stuff, man. Right. And that's what Paul's getting at at the very end here. Last verses, 17 and 18. He says, I share this example with you through my own life. Verse 17. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. This is an allusion back to the Old Testament where the priest, when he made a burnt offering to God, he would also begin to pour out the wine next to it. 
And Paul in his day, he's saying, I want my life to be a picture of laying out my whole life for you guys. Because I care for you guys. It's a pouring out of oneself that really, as I think back to Jesus, and then I think of even Paul following through an example, it's reminding us, this is what life's about. It's not about being filled up. It's about being poured out. Right? But keep in mind this, church, you can't pour out if you ain't got filled up with something. True? So you need to get full so you can get poured out. Then you need to get full again so you can pour out. Maybe we need like four or five church services a week to, to keep that process going. Back in first, first 16, it ties this, this idea together. I don't want to run the race in vain. Or I don't want it to be empty. I, I, I want to run. I don't want to run empty race. I, I want to work for the empty things. I don't want to work for the empty things. So, so it's every day remembering the day, right? He's talking about the end. And what's going to matter at the end? You think when you get to the end, you get to tell God the size tires you got? Huh? The size motor you got? How much money you had in the bank account? How many cool shoes you had? How many hats you had? Right? How many neat guns you had? How many things you, how many deer you killed? How many, how many of those beautiful horns hanging on the wall that you were so proud of? No, I, I think, I guess for an eternity, there may be a point where we finally do get to talk to God about those things, by the way. But I think when we get to the kingdom, he's going to be looking like, what, what did you pour your life out for that mattered for eternity? How many people made it into the kingdom because you invested into them for the glory of my name? Right? This is what he's getting at. The one thing that's going to last, the one thing that matters is the people we're going to influence. So in verse 14, we get the, 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 the negative command. Do everything without grumbling. And then in verse 18, we get the opposite, right? So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul doesn't want a church full of complainers. He wants a church full of happy, joyful, laughing people. Shiners, not whiners. What, what will you choose to be? What, what are you really going to choose to be? Go back to the beginning with Christ. Obedience is the essential to working out our salvation. What does that mean? That means we become obedient in the more that we learn. Right? That means we read our Bible more so that we get more. For Paul, this may be for some of us too, but for Paul it meant abandonment. It meant that he was going to have to shine in some situations that were really dark that normal people wouldn't shine in. For a lot of us, it's going to mean giving up control. Right? A lot of our problems is an unwillingness to give up control. Why? Because we think for our lives to be happy, we've got to be in control of them. I got news for you. If anybody can screw up your life, it's yourself. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look at how many great things the Lord made and did and how many of them we screwed up. Right? Like people just mess stuff up, man. Huh? I read, read, a, read one of them little memes or gifs or whatever the heck Katie Beth told me to call it this week that said uh, the, Grinch, the Grinch didn't have a problem with Christmas. He had a problem with people. People mess stuff up, mess stuff up all the time, right? Our trust in Christ must bring us to the point of being able to pour out our lives, that abandonment, that willingness to say, God, the future belongs to you. For Paul, he looked at, he looked at these struggles he was going through and, and rather than regret and complain about them, rather than whine about them, he saw this, this suffering as, as a sign to get a deeper joy from Christ. And I think when the world looks at us, when we go through some of the junk, they want to see how we're going to respond because that's what's going to make the biggest difference. If we explode the same way they explode, what makes the difference then for, for them? Like, why would they want to do what we do? We let our conditions and circumstances stop us from being in control. We're in trouble. Unless you remember that your greater condition is that, as Paul said, you are in Christ. 
Your greater condition is you're in Christ. Carla said this this morning. And no, it's not a bad example, Carla. Talking about this, this, this chapter, these verses. She said, there's been times I would have do things I didn't care to do and deal with people I didn't care to deal with. I wish we had more honest people in the church. Right. I wonder how many of y'all she was talking about. Oh, that's not the main point. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Things I didn't want to do, I didn't give people I didn't care to deal with. In the initial moment, I would have got agitated and grumbled in my head a little bit. Sometimes the complaints might have made it out of my mouth. I would have murmured. But then this would happen. God would use those moments to show me something amazing or give me a chance to witness. Those moments, can't help but think back to moments from weeks ago. Those moments I wanted to avoid become moments I look forward to. Have the moments you've tried to avoid become moments you look forward to? Have you opened your eyes enough to see that that once you start seeing things as opportunities to serve God, that God will like show you, grow you and use you in different ways? That's three things she ends up with. Right. Huh? Shine, don't whine. But are you being the right light? Are we being the right light to the to the world that's all around watching? Are we setting the right attitude and atmosphere around us? I, I can't help but. Think most of the time if my wife was to get a bubble bath, there'd be little heathens bouncing off the walls at the side of the house. So she takes my iPad and she watches the crown and she turns the volume up louder. Right? Because you need some things in your life that are going to drown out the things in your life you don't need. Are you allowing Christ to drown out the darkness of the world or are we letting the darkness of the world overtake us? Are we are we different? Paul says, man, you, you want to start living this thing? Here's what you do. And then the world will see it. So so the, the question then is real easy. And if you feel bad about it, maybe it's time for you to take with the, with the Lord and try to correct it, right? When the world looks at you, do they see the complainer, the whiner? Or do they see somebody who's shining a light in a caring attitude, showing them the right direction, whether it be for food or for other things? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this morning, God. God, I thank you for this section of Paul's letter to a group of believers, Lord God. God, I thank you that Paul cared so much about making sure they handled stuff right inside and outside the church. So that they were able to stay unified inside, Lord God. And so the world outside watching, Lord God, saw it. Lord, help us. Give us that, that, that energy, Lord God. That this verse talks about. Give us that that spirit, that fire, Lord God, inside. Though allow us to live in a way that pleases you. That handles situations, Lord God. A way that brings you joy. That we see joy, Lord God. Because the bigger picture is what matters more than the smaller. Lord, move in a mighty way through us, Lord God. God, take these words, these points. And just direct us, Lord God, on areas we need to change. And help us, Lord God, to strive daily. To do more and be more because you're worth more. In your name we pray. Amen.